You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Now, if you have been following through this message series along with us since two Sundays ago, uh, you will have gathered from both Pastor Ayan and Pastor Hon some nuggets of wisdom to hold on to as you and I go through trials of various kinds. For instance, uh, as we go through trials, let us learn not to be victims. Let us not see ourselves as victims to the sufferings of trials, but let us seek to be learners or students of trials. So instead of asking God why, which often is a very knee-jerk response that we give to God, instead of saying and asking God why, we learn to ask God this, what do you want me to learn through this trial? And so in that, we don't just go through it or try to get out of it, but we learn by growing through them. We learn by going through the trials in our lives. And that we don't try to overcome our trials because the sermon series that we're going through we are learning that it's not about learning to overcome our trials, but it's about growing and triumphing in our faith as we persevere through the trials in our lives. Ultimately, there is something that we will receive as we grow through trials, and that is this, um, the reward of being transformed, not just by becoming better in facing our future trials, but also to help others when we also go through, when they also go through similar trials like us. If you remember what Pastor Hon uh, has said as he introduced one very special and needed and necessary ingredient that often we lack and also deeply need in order for us to go through trials. And that is called wisdom. Uh, Pastor Hon explained that wisdom itself is a gift from God that will help us to respond to trials. Remember that? And now how, how wisdom can actually help us to respond to trials is by this. And I like how Charles Swindle um, explained. Wisdom helps us to respond to trials by seeing life with rare objectivity, to handle life with rare stability. In other words, to respond well to trials, we need God's perspective, which will give a rare objectivity on the trial that we will grow through. And a lot of times, God's perspective looks rather different from the way we look at the trials of our lives. And so in order to help us to triumph in the trials that we go through or to grow through trials that we are in, we need to learn to first embrace what is God's perspective on the trials. We need to also re-examine whether our perspectives, the perspectives that we hold, is it in line with God? And so today we will dive straight into one of the life's most common uh, trials, uh, as we also look at how James suddenly, straight away, offer God's perspective in triumphing through trials in poverty and riches. 
Maybe James saw that out of the many trials that the Jewish believers were going through, that this was one of the significant aspects that have affected the believers for the poor and the rich who were facing persecution uh, in James' time. And somehow their status of being poor or rich is one factor that James saw the need to address on. So you will realize later on this recurrent theme of poverty and riches, the believers who are poor, who are rich, but James will bring back in his letter. This is an apparent issue that James wanted to talk about, uh, not just to a very small group of a local church, but he's talking to a larger community of the Jewish believers that were persecuted in that time. Think about this. Actually, this life's common trial in poverty and riches is for all walks of life. You don't have to be a Christian to go through it. Uh, you also don't have to be an extremely rich person like Bill Gates to be considered rich. Or you don't have to consider yourself poor to the point that you do not have a roof over your head to validate and justify whether you're going through trials in poverty or riches. Uh, I have my nieces and my nephew telling me as at times when they look at the things that I have and they look at the things that they have, then they will tell me, they call me, Siaku, Siaku, why are you so rich? How come you're so rich? And my reply to them is always this, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not that rich because your papa and your mama richer. Um, talk about perception, right? To some, so, so to some degree, we all go through trials in poverty and riches based from where we are at. Think about that. But yes, to some of you, to some of you, you are experiencing this trial in a greater intensity, especially since pandemic. To some of you, this trial is really real because you lost your job or because of pandemic, that led you to leave your job willingly. Or perhaps because of pandemic, your business has been affected. Or perhaps some of you, because you have your investments due to pandemic, you've lost a lot of them. On the other hand, some of you get very excited because you're profiting in the investment because of the crisis. Or to a very general level, many of us often seek to think or live our lives focusing on how much we need to have, how much we need to earn, whether through our full-time jobs or through other means, in order that we can live a certain kind of lifestyle. So to, so to a certain extent, every one of us, we go through this common economical-related trials. And as believers, for believers in particular, we go through this kind of trial slightly in a different manner. Uh, remember, Pastor Aya mentioned about this at the start of the series, that sometimes because we are believers, we are led to go through trials even more. And so today we'll look at what James have to say about God's perspective on going through trials in poverty and riches. And there are two. The first that I want to talk about is God's perspective on the status of poor and rich. 
Now, first to the poor, he says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, the word lowly here, or another Bible translation, uses this two words, humble circumstances. Whether lowly or humble circumstances, they're actually describing and referring to those brother, not just brother, but sisters in Christ as well, to those who were financially poor. One other way to make an easy inference is that when you look at the second half of the statement, James mentioned about the rich. And so it makes sense that the lowly are referring to the financially poor uh, believers. And they're low in various ways. They're lowly in various ways. They're lowly in their financial position. They're lowly in the socioeconomic status. They're lowly also because of the way the society and the people view or treat them. At the same time, they're lowly also by the way how they view themselves. And so James is instructing to them in the tone of a command, to those who are poor, to boast in their exaltation. And to the rich, James said, to boast in his humiliation. Now, I want us to pause this, pause over here. Because this statement should come to you as a very strange and a contradicting statement. Because think about it. What does the poor have to boast about? No one ever looks up to the poor. No one would ever aspire to be poor. I tried to Google this phrase, how to be poor. <laughs> and the articles that turned turn up in front of me was actually to talk about how to turn from poor to rich. I guess the closest that I could find was an article that titled this, Eight Ways to Remain Poor. Eight Ways to Remain Poor. But as you click on the article and you read all the way to the end, you will see that the article will end up with this. Take direct action with this online course, the seven best ways to become rich. And so you will wonder, what does the poor have to boast about? And for the rich, by right, it is very easy for you to see. They have many things to boast about. They have their possessions to boast about, the lifestyle that they can boast about. They have the social influence over the people. And just like I said, if you Google, most people will want to go and Google and how, about how to become rich. And you will learn from people who are rich on how to become rich. Or perhaps you'll find people who were once poor and then they become rich and you want to learn from them. They have a status that they can boast about. But in God's perspective, as we hear from James, is that the poor, the poor who are lowly, they're exalted, and the rich who are high, they're brought low. Uh, though this uh, version says humiliation, in the context, James is talking about how the rich are being humbled. And this statement, we, of, we, we know this, we call it the paradox, right? It is meant to capture your attention. It is meant to ask you, pause, and think deeper. And a lot of you would probably know this. A lot of times, God's perspective on life often comes as a paradox. A lot of times, God's perspective on life can be strange, can sound contradicting, but if you think deeper, if you mull over it, over it for a longer time, you realize that what God says is in fact true. 
I thought what Douglas Moo, uh, who is a commentator on one of the James commentary, uh, I thought that he gave a very helpful explanation on the word boast within this context in order for us to help to understand what James was saying as a whole. He says this, that the boast in this context is not about the arrogant boasting of the self-important, but it's the joyous pride possessed by the person who values what God values. And what does God values? To the poor Jewish believers, James is saying, imagine, James is saying this, brothers and sisters, you may possess very little in your material wealth, and you may be low in the status in the eyes of the society you live in, but in the eyes of God and to what he values, you are rich. You are rich in something else that is much better because God has adopted you into his kingdom. Because you belong to him, you have a status that is high. In the, state, in the eyes of the society, you may look like you possess nothing, but you actually possess an inheritance and given a high status by God through Jesus Christ. And you don't have to become someone rich to boast about something. And actually, you have something to boast as a child of God. Your problems don't get necessarily resolved and elevated by having more possessions. But you need to consider God, who is your Father, who is with you in your trials. Consider Him, because He will be the one who will elevate you in due time. Value what God values and take pride and take joy in this reality. To the rich Jewish believers, James is saying to them, brothers and sisters, you may possess a lot in your wealth, but in no way does that make you any way better than the poor. In fact, in God's eyes, you are actually the same as them. You are the same as the brothers and sisters who are poor. Your wealth is never going to put you in any sort of a better standing with God. True, there are things that your wealth can fix, but you will find that not everything in life can be solved by money. So don't be surprised even as you could not fix all things. Value what God values. Take pride in this reality. Take joy in this reality. Now, some of you, as you hear me say, and might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I understand. I agree. And I also know that money can't buy happiness, right? There's a common saying, money can't buy happiness. But we learned since the past two Sundays, we learned that knowing it and professing is one thing, right? But how you truly respond when you're facing economic-related trial and, or any trial that may bring out an emphasis of your poverty or riches, how you respond will reveal who you are as a person, how you respond to the trials will reveal the quality of your faith. How you respond to the trials will truly show and reveal what you truly believe in and what you truly value. 
think about this. There was actually a study that shows us and tell us that 70% of the people who won a lottery end up becoming broke very quickly. And you would know if you read papers or if you go and find Google, studies also tell us that there's always an increase of suicides during times of recession. Those are very telling results that tell us how people often respond in times of poverty, in times of riches. But notice it's not a rich problem, rich people problem only. Neither is it just a poor people problem. Whether poor or rich, you will always have something to learn in your own experience of trials from where you are at. And James is saying to the believers in his time, and as we read, it's an invitation for us as well to take on God's perspectives in order to grow through the trials, whether you are poor, whether you are rich, or even when you see yourself in between. Because ultimately, the test for the poor and the rich believers is this. Will you put your confidence in your financial position or will you put your confidence in the spiritual position you have in Christ? Will you take on God's perspective and learn to be satisfied and content, whether in plenty or in need? Think about this question for yourself. The second perspective of God that James pointed out in these three verses is this. God's perspective on what is fleeting. James went on saying, because like a flower of the grass, he, referring to the rich, will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now it's interesting how James uses flowers to portray wealth. And I know there are quite a number of flower lovers amongst us. Okay, before we jump straight into the end result of what we have just read, because it's, as you read, this is a very poetic way of understanding what wealth is like. And we instantaneously, we can understand what James was saying. But before we go straight to consider the end result of how fast flowers fade and die, let us consider how the beauty of flowers are something for people to enjoy, isn't it? Flowers are something that people uh, come to appreciate. In the same way, wealth is also a gift to be enjoyed. And, and, and think about this, wealth, being wealthy or being rich is not evil. You must know this. James is not saying being rich is evil. He's not saying that. And you will know if you read the scriptures, you will see that God at many times, he, gave, he displayed his favor on certain people blessing someone who would seek to please God by giving this person wealth for one to enjoy. And one good example is King Solomon. But you must know this. This doesn't mean that if you're not rich, you're not favored by God, okay? It doesn't mean that if you're not rich, it does not mean that God is not favoring you because that is why James reminded the believers who were poor that they are elevated and favored by God as well. 
And being rich or building your finance or wealth is not wrong either. Because you can build it for the good and right reasons. Um, I personally know someone who actually aspired to build and accumulate wealth because he has a dream. He has a dream that he wants to open an orphanage. Or some of you, or you know someone who wants to open a business. So in order to start a business, you need to accumulate, you need to save, you need to focus on building your finance because they want to bring about a movement that could change lives ultimately. And so building your finance is not wrong. But there's a however, uh, and it's actually what James wanted to caution. It's actually the state of mind and the dangers that come along with the riches that one has in, has in his life or her life. Where one may pursue wealth as the most important thing in his or her life. Because for some, because for some, they subconsciously did not realize this, that they might take money as the thing that will represent his or her worth. Money makes the man, that's this phrase. <laughs> not manners, but some people say money makes the man. Or you try to search famous people on Google, there is this thing that you can find the net worth of this celebrity, of this politician, or some of these famous people. The net worth. Interesting, people want to find out the net worth of a, a person. Or at the same time, some may see that wealth helps to make your life better and easier, which is true in a lot of extent. Because, and so because wealth is so wonderful to enjoy, and you really cannot deny its incentives, it is therefore very tempting. It is a very tempting and a super alluring thing to pursue in your life. And so James is highlighting on that beauty of wealth. But he's also saying this, that beauty, that worth, it will fade. It will perish. In God's economy, the value and the worth of the wealth that you have will depreciate and be no more one day. Remember the rich young man who went to look for Jesus? He asked him, what should he do in order to inherit eternal life? A lot of times when I read about that passage or when I think about that rich young man, I, I thought he's a very... Uh, very quickly, I, I see him as someone very foolish. To a certain extent, also, he's a prideful man. But slowly, I've come to learn and realize as I think more, and as I was preparing this message, I come to realize that, think about this, this rich young man, no matter how prideful he might be, he also has this sincere heart of wanting to pursue what is eternal. And that's why he went to Jesus and asked him, what should I do in order to inherit eternal life? And so in response to Jesus' question, he said that he has done all that he said. He did not murder. He did not steal. He did not commit adultery. He is a someone who honored his father and mother. And he loved his neighbors as himself. Now, if you know of a brother or sister 
you see this brother or sister who lived his or her life in such a way, who's faithful in doing all the above, wouldn't you also have a tendency to praise this person? Wow, this brother or this sister, I really respect him, admire him or her. Very godly man, very godly woman. Wouldn't you? But Jesus did not say that. Instead, we know as Mark uh, said this, looking at him, looking at the rich young man, he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. It sounded like Jesus is making things hard for him, right? You lack one thing. There's one more thing you have not done. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And we know how the story sort of ended, how the rich young man responded. He left. He was disheartened. He was sad because he had a lot to lose. For whatever reasons, he could not see what he could ultimately gain. The promise of eternal treasures in heaven. I I want to believe this. Mark wanted to highlight the posture Jesus had when he was having this conversation with the rich young man. Because he was looking at him not with condemnation, but with love. You need to see this. There's a focus on this word love. He loved him. Jesus loved the rich young man. So he was not looking at him with condemnation. And so Jesus knew, he believed, he knew the rich young man's sincere heart of wanting to search for eternal life. But he also knew the rich young man's struggle. Very real struggle. And so what Jesus offered to this young man, he's not trying to make things hard for him. He's not trying to make things hard for him. Oh, you've done very good, just one thing. One thing, this very difficult thing. No, Jesus is not trying to make things hard for this rich young man. And a lot of times, we, some, of the, some of the times we may feel that, well, God wants me to surrender these things. I can surrender everything, but he wants me to surrender this thing that I cannot. Well, Jesus, you're making things very hard for me. No. All Jesus wanted for him was to give up, holding onto something that ultimately could only disappoint himself. And Jesus was simply giving an invitation of surrender and trust. To surrender his pursuit of earthly wealth that defines his worth. Because for the rich young man, he's basing his worth on the earthly wealth that he has. And that's why he's not willing to let go. And Jesus is inviting him. In the same way Jesus invites us a lot of times to surrender and give up the pursuit that we have towards earthly possessions and earthly wealth that might be something that we tend to define, use it to define our worth and to trust in the eternal wealth that Jesus could offer to define his worth that will never be taken away from him. For the rich young man, sadly, we know that he chose to cling on to what he owned because he thought that what he owned is ultimately what is his worth. So please note this. It doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're thinking that you're in between. You and I can be tempted, can be tested, can go through trials, 
on considering whether the earthly wealth and possessions is defining our worth, just like the rich young man. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this. Do you hold on to God's perspectives as you face economic-related trials? Do you hold that two perspectives that James is saying over these verses? Or do you depend on the temporal possessions and wealth and resources that you have to deal with the trials that you face in life? I want to get us to examine this, to help us to examine whether do we truly hold God's perspective or do we hold on to our perspective that is different from God? Think about this. Does your life project these realities? When you go through trials and poverty in, and riches, is there joy and rest found in your eternal worth and status in Christ, whether in plenty or need? Do you find that you are joyful even when you're poor? Do you find yourself, your soul is rested? Then you're not thinking, you're not overly worried. If you will have food on the table the next day. Not based on what you have in your earthly possessions, but based on your worth and who you are, who you are in Christ. The second is this. You see yourself that your primary reliance is on your spiritual wealth and not earthly wealth that is speaking. Now, I must say this. It is very okay. And in fact, sometimes God uses earthly resources to help us to go through trials. We need that. We need that. But what I'm saying is this. It's your first and foremost primary reliance always on the spiritual wealth that you have in Christ. Before you go and, and, and focus and rely only on your earthly wealth that is fleeting. Does your life project these two realities? Um, I have been journeying with a couple of young believers who are international students in another country. So in our conversation and our sharing recently, uh, which actually happened just this week, and I thought, wow, the conversation was a very timely thing. I was so excited when we were having this conversation. <laughs> and I thought our, conver our conversation and sharing was rather apt to wrap up in today's message. The context was this, as we were sharing with each other for prayer requests, um, one of them actually shared about his desire uh, as an international student, okay? that they could resume on-site lessons again instead of having online lessons. Uh, because they are international students, they actually spend the money to travel abroad. And, and it's not a very ideal, uh, very wise situation for them during COVID because of constant on and off lockdowns. And he was just thinking about how his parents spend the money to send him off uh, and then he ends up being stuck at home most of the time. For international students, for students who go abroad studies, your wish and desire is that you have a cross-cultural experience, right? But the only cross-cultural experience that this student has is staying at, at a foreign home, maybe. Uh, and so understandably, as I hear this brother's uh, uh, prayer and desire, understandably, it can be very disheartening 
And his thoughts would be thinking about, wow, money has been wasted. Because he could have just been back in his home hometown, do the same online courses. He doesn't spend so much money, isn't it? And, and so I understand where he was coming from. But as we were talking, I, point, I, I, I realized there was one point, And I pointed out, actually, brother, it's not entirely wasted. It's not entirely wasted. Because think about this. You would not have met God if you never did this overseas studies. Now, because it is actually through his time in overseas studies that he met people that brought him to know Christ. And I hear, I saw this brother's journey as a very good example of understanding the way how God works to understand God's economy. Because what I saw in this brother's life was that he can rejoice over the fact and he doesn't have to regret doing his overseas studies during COVID. Because on hindsight, he has been given the opportunity to receive what is eternal and would never, ever fade away. God has given this brother, or at least God has called, we can call this brother because of now he belongs to God's family. And so God has given this brother a much better and a long-lasting reward. An experience that will outlast a three to four typical year of overseas studies program. And he has entered not just a college, but he has entered into the school of the Christian faith. Learning who he is in Christ, learning who he is as a child of God, who has an access to the Heavenly Father, and that he has been given an opportunity to know what's of a greater value to pursue in life. And it's not just about thinking, graduate after graduation, he get a good job, he marry a good wife and study a good family. It's more than just that he has come to know a greater value. What is more worthy of his time and life to pursue? And what would define ultimately his worth? And sure, because the reality is that it seems that the money has been wasted. But what he has gained, what he has gained has actually outweighed what he may seem to have lost or lacked because he has come to know the greatest treasure, and that is Jesus. I, I want to thank God for this because um, I have that privilege to see this brother being on a journey of learning to see that great worth he has received in Jesus, of how he can learn of what is of a greater value in life for him to pursue Friends, I, I didn't take a look of who is among us. Um, but if there is any one of you who do not believe in Jesus, or perhaps if you are watching this later on on the YouTube, uh, for any one of you who is not a believer yet, this eternal wealth is offered to you as well. If you are willing to trust what Jesus is offering to the rich young man, he is offering to you as well. And to if you will be willing to trust that what he offers to you is going to be far better of what you are trying to pursue or what you have already owned. Would you consider to seek to know this greatest treasure? Now, there's always some level of risk 
when you make events, investment, isn't it? You have to make, you must study it, you must search, you must know the background of whatever you're trying to invest in. If you want to jump full in into this, by all means, we will praise God for that. But if you want to test water, by all means as well, test. Do your homework. Do your homework, search the Bible, join us to search the Bible, search the scriptures to consider who Jesus is. Is he truly the greatest treasure? Is he, is what he is teaching about life and everything else outweighing my perspective of what life is? Is his perspective outweighing more, is, is his perspective more valuable than what I'm trying to pursue in life? Come and see. And you know what? I will say this. And even to the brothers and sisters, to the believers, there will always be some losses and sacrifices. There will always be some losses and sacrifices. I'm not going to deny that. But I can guarantee you that you will find it a greater gain to trust in Jesus. There will be a greater gain. I can guarantee you that. There's no, there's no fine lines. <laughs> there's no fine lines that you need to read. I can guarantee you, you will find a greater gain to trust in Jesus. And to all the brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you have been a long-time Christian or a young believer, today is an invitation to you as well. The truth that we are reading today, it's, uh, a lot of times it's a hate knowledge. But I want to encourage and challenge you as I'm challenging myself. Whether do you really depend on God's eternal treasures or have you been depending is your life depending and clinging on to what is temporal? And you are invited to make a response that you can choose to respond differently today. You can come back to embrace this great eternal value we have found in Jesus. As I was processing this, preparing this message, I also asked myself, Jesus, have you been my greatest treasure are you truly my greatest treasure? And I have to examine my heart. Brothers and sisters, you can come back to embrace this great eternal value because I sense that God is also giving me the opportunity to say that you can always come back. You can always come back. You can recognize that maybe perhaps now, you can recognize that maybe you're struggling on that. But Jesus is always offering that invitation. You can come back. To once again confess and declare, Jesus, be my greatest treasure. That will never fade away. Because if you do that, you and I can grow through trials in poverty and riches. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Let's take time to respond 